Coming at you live from 30 Rock for Wine Moms, it's Cartoon Night in Canada. Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with cartoon? to another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgic journey to dig through decades of animation to find the good, bad, and just plain weird of Canadian cartoons. I'm your co-host Chris Lucy Antonio. And I'm your co-host Sylvie Kettles. Sylvie, I got a little film studies question for you. Okay, let's dust off my old notebooks. Oh yeah, go find uh, your your old copy of What's his name? David Thompson's uh, What Is Film or What Is It? Uh, Film (laughs) Art and Introduction. I didn't buy that. Oh, it's David Boardwell I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 I didn't buy Uh, the textbook. Hmm. Well, I wonder how well you'll do with this little pop quiz about about how a film is made, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Uh, What the fuck is a producer? Oh, boy. Um... Well, if we're, see, I, I don't, I don't remember it, that part of the book, so I'm gonna go with my other brand of uh, film studies knowledge, which either comes from anime or musicals. So, uh, musicals, the oh, producers Jesus. taught me uh, that producers scam little old ladies uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. in order to, to produce, uh, to attempt to produce a um a, an anti-semitic play that will make people angry and it'll flop so they can take the money that they scammed off the little old ladies um an anime has taught me that producers uh scamper around town desperately trying to get the animators to do anything while the director also doesn't know what he's doing how how, how close am i well, the funny thing is, you said nothing in terms of specifics about what a film producer actually does. Yeah. But just kind of like, in, in an amorphous, nebulous kind of way. They do stuff. Just, just touched on, like, you know, they, they, uh, they do things. Like, I think, I think you actually said, like, you know, uh, for, for the producers, they produce a musical. It's like, well, that's, that tells me nothing. Well, they, they acquired the money for a musical to be put on. Yeah, so... And I and I feel that's the uh, that's the strength of the quote unquote role of a producer is that it it can encompass so many things because like the definition would be someone who oversees a production, be okay. it film, musical, podcast, um, anything. The producer is just there to oversee things and make sure everything goes according to plan. And holy shit, is that such a broad thing? That you could, you could extrapolate that into so many duties, ideas, and concepts. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like they could do a lot or not a lot. Right. Well, you you think of like film producer and or television show producer, and you think, well, there's got to be a great uh, sitcom set up there, right? <laughs> 
Uh, one would hope, you know. Yeah, yeah, one would hope, and it's called 30 Rock. Good night, everybody. <laughs> da, 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 da. We, we've finished it. We, we have fi- I've never really seen 30 Rock. I've seen a couple episodes. It's fantastic. I've never bothered to watch all, what, seven, eight seasons of it? Yeah, I've, I've seen, like, the bits that it produces. And, the bits are usually very good. And, uh, specifically, I saw, like, a detailed breakdown of how it accidentally, uh, pre- uh pre- predicted, that's the word, the, uh, the exact arc of Sarah Palin. Yeah. And in her media persona. Yeah, the, uh, the writers of 30 Rock had some, unlike today's show, uh, they had some strong writers in their writing room, um, in, in fact, one of the fun things about being on film twat, film Twitter so uh, pathologically as I am, mm. so 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 like dependently as I am on just checking in on film Twitter, yeah. is that every now and then when a movie comes out, say like Cocaine Bear, there's always going to be the joke like, well, this is just a Thirty Rock bit, you know, <laughs> and it's usually correct. It's kind of like uh, it's it's become. Another version of the, oh, well, Simpsons already did it. It's very prescient that way, yeah. But I don't know why we're talking about a good show. I mean, it, it just sets us up to fail later on when we have to talk about the other thing that we're supposed to be talking about. But, um, yeah, producing. You can get away with a lot if your show is centered on what a producer does. Because I think, I think most of these programs are banking on the fact that nobody knows like nobody in the general public knows what a producer's day-to-day activities are yeah that's that seems like a a fair assumption so of course you can just fill it with buck wild nonsense and sci-fi supernatural fantasy elements and weird just weirdness everywhere because why not i mean i guess you're in there with the full screen credit yeah is all's rising on that you can bet. So grab a latte and get to the set. You've got a staff and a last staff keeping it loose. You're the producer. Kick it, Parker. So, on today's podcast, we are taking a little gander at Producing Parker, created by Laura Kostersky, Caroline Newman, and Kevin Gillis. The production was handled by the Ottawa-based animation studio Mercury Filmworks, the Toronto-based production company Breakthrough Entertainment, and the Philippine animation studio, then known as the Philippine Animators Group, obviously based in the Philippines, doing additional animation. And apologies to all who hate our recurring bits, but that makes this little show what? Technically Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, and what's that? hate this bit? Apparently, I don't know. Who told you that? Chris, what are your sources? I'm just assuming that everybody hates an ongoing forced bit, such as this one. Well, then you have no choice but to assume that everyone hates our show. Oh, I go to sleep every night assuming that everything that I do, everything I create, everything I write is just, uh, j- just, just humored. Okay, sounds healthy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, do- I'm in a good place. Yeah. Anyway, finish Anyways, the bit. it's the best kind of Canadian. There you go, there we go. Sorry. Sorry, listener, we're going to keep doing that. The show aired between May of 2009 and July 2011, lasting a tight two seasons and 26 episodes on the Global and TV Tropolis Network. Two first channels for Cartoon Night in Canada, I think. That's a channel we haven't come across yet. Yeah, it's not Teletoon or YTV. What is this? 
Chris, what is TV Tropolis? Uh was more more accurately. Yeah, I believe it's now it's been rebranded to Detour, but it still has the same kind of programming on it. Uh TV Tropolis uh and whatever it was what was branded before that, it was like the subsidiary company of Can West, the, that massive Canadian conglomerate, media conglomerate, and its entire uh its entire broadcasting schedule was made up of like contemporary sitcoms and dramas from the 80s and 90s as well as like shows just about pop culture like you'd have shit like talk soup and the the actor who played j-rock on trailer park boys he had like a show just talking about television i feel like tosh.0 aired on tv tropolis at some point oh i i think tosh.0 is a little too spicy for tv <laughs> tropolis like you're, you can't have Tosh by you know, show showing like YouTube clips of people getting hit with trucks and bursting boils on their back, it, slotted in between reruns of Golden Girls. That's true. The logo for TV Tropolis was functionally the Fraser logo. Yeah, and I, I, color. you would be not shocked at all to find that Fraser was a constant uh, syndicated show on TV Tropolis. I'm, I'm not surprised because that's where I used to watch Frasier a lot. <laughs> Should we just talk about Frasier instead? God, I wish. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We, all we, Canadian. No, no, but you know, we're desperate. <laughs> I feel like if we tried really, really hard, we could find a Canadian connection, but then we run into the secondary roadblock of it's not animated. One of the many dogs that played Eddie maybe was uh, bred in Canada. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. You Do you have the medical records of that dog? No, don't. you don't. Shit, you're right. So how dare you? How, how dare you try and tell me differently? Anyway, um, so for today's podcast, we took a look at Season 1, Episode 9, Age Defying, directed by series director Robin Budd, and written by Jen Engels. Original air date? Fucked if I know. Couldn't find that info. Cool. So glad to know that people cared enough about this show. It's been a while. It's actually been a while since I've run into that problem again, where the original air date, uh, outside of uh, the Canada series, where, God, there's like four air dates for every episode, because that's just, way, that's just the way anime was syndicated back then. But for this one, it's like, how do I not know what dates in 2009 that this show aired? Because nobody else cared enough to write it down, I guess. It wasn't even that long ago. It was yeah. 2009. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, um, well, this is this uh, presents an interesting uh, potential pathway for this conversation uh, because this is not falling on that dichotomy between television and YTV. Who knows who has nostalgic memories about this show? Sylvie? I, I certainly don't. Neither do I. Perfect. I know I've definitely seen some of this show before and my one takeaway i will bring up later but i don't know just just a in like i i believe on tv tropolis it aired with um whatever seth mcfarlane comedies they could get like they had family guy and american dad as well in like the same block with producing parker there yeah it's it's a good fit for, for that yeah, yeah it's uh it's the way that a lot of uh canadian adult animation was presented to uh, viewers sandwiched between more popular shows, more popular American shows. That's that's how we do. Yeah, and good God did we ever 
show up for producing part. No, we didn't. Absolutely not. Okay, well, since neither of us have the nostalgic memories of producing Parker, uh, real quick, what is it? So, producing Parker is a uh, sitcom about Parker Kovac, who is an overworked, underpaid daytime talk show producer of the D Show. Um, so the Disney Show, yes. That that's right. Uh, so it's functionally, in in theory, it's a workplace comedy about a uh, the production of a daytime talk show. The drama between our protagonist Parker and the diva star that she has to wrangle repeatedly to get her to do the damn show, and mm-hmm. the other. Um, uh, people who work at the studio, so writers, interns, uh, your your mic guys, station just, just, owner, just just random folks. Right, right. Like uh, I've seen Thirty Rock before. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just an animated Thirty Rock, but not as well written. See, I think you hit at the problem right away when just trying to describe the show. It's like, so this is just a. By the numbers, simple, funny, grounded workplace comedy, right? That just happens to be animated. It sh- as it should be. Like in in theory, solid premise. Yes, absolutely. It's it's been done very well in other shows, understandably live action shows. But you'd assume, you know, because it's animated, there'd be a little bit more exaggeration with the comedy. It go a little bit out there, and also occasionally. Things like, I don't know, D turns into a snake lady can happen. What? what? A blah, 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 blah? Here is where the show loses its sense of identity because you have everything presented before you of a solid, just solid workplace comedy. Yeah. Why Why do that? I, I would imagine it's simply because it's animated and someone or multiple people in the writing staff were thinking, well, I guess we have to make it a little more zany. Because it's a cartoon now. Yes. Zany is the word for this. Yeah. But, like, there are a couple things that this show, a couple, like, visual gags that are explicitly, like, cartoony that I think it does do well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's one bit right at the beginning of the the two guys, like, picking up Parker and using her as a battering ram to get into Dee's room. Like, that that level of zany, I think, works. Dee turning or, into a snake lady does not. Or even the joke right before that, when the, um, when the stage hand opens up, like, a case that somehow folds into a fully stocked bar. Yeah. And Parker's able to mix a cocktail for her boss with, like, in light speed time. It's like, yeah, yeah that's I, a... That's a good visual gag that can only exist in animation. Yeah, Love yeah. It. Like, you, you're yeah. using the medium to its potential for a premise that would normally be suited for live action. You're doing something there. Yeah. Why I, the snake lady? Because, uh, you know, just women, middle-aged women celebrities, they're so egotistical. They gotta... They gotta pump their bodies full of toxins to look younger. The sense of humor of this show we will get into a little later. I mean, there's a lot to say about why it did not connect with my, 
either of us. But I don't like why why the snake lady thing? Why the talking dog? Why the why why the supernatural old age seer? Yeah. Oh yeah. God, that's fucking weird. Like it's it's just so strange because it feels like there was a kernel of an idea here. But because of, as you said, because it is going to be animated, I don't know when exactly that came that came up in their pre, pre-production phase, but because it has to be animated and because there's a lot of other uh, animated shows on the air right now that are super popular, hi, Family Guy, <laughs> we need to adjust our overall sense of humor accordingly. God, just a sec. I gotta let in the beast. Oh, this is staying in again. I hope you know. Why would I cut this? Okay. <laughs> like, you, do you know, like, you know our joke about the uh, Monster of the Week uh, formats for shows where it's like, maybe Mothman could show up. Yeah. Mothman could show up in this show. I shouldn't be able to say that about this show. Yeah, this seemingly down-to-earth, in-premise uh just workplace comedy yeah the the tone is all over the all, all over the place and it the inspiration points are just so weird cuz like, you you hit at a a great thing in our earlier um conversation before we started recording mm-hmm. like the the central relationship between D and Parker like that uh that boss uh subordinate uh push pull power structure like that's your hook yeah, where you've got your D, who is the celebrity, who's the face of the show, and then uh, the overworked producer, who essentially does everything to make this show happen. The the long suffering neurotic uh, underpaid producer who is who is working to cover up all of the foibles of the host. Yes, like working to keep D's image intact whereas d does everything in her power to sabotage that because she's a tyrannical narcissistic alcoholic sex crazed and all-around unpleasant person that's that's the the makings of a decent show yeah yeah you you got something there oh wait here's a robot oh no isn't that fun it's the apocalypse like like a robot just joined the cast oh no uh one of them turned into a werewolf like what the fuck are we talking about (laughs) Oh no, Mothman's here. Like, oh no, Mothman's here. He's D's guest for this episode. Isn't that fun? It's like, no. I think we've done it. We found the one show that cannot be improved by Mothman. Uh, I don't know. Ma- ma- like, there's probably others that Mothman showing up would be a bit uh, abrasive and incongruous with that show. I like. I don't know. Y- you think uh, during like an episode of 24 when Jack Bauer just picks up his phone, and then the split screen reveals Mothman. Wouldn't that be a little jarring? No. Having oh, not okay. seen a single episode of 24, I think Mothman would be an improvement. Um, imagine an episode of Deadwood, where they're all they're all uh, gathering at the saloon, and then the doors open dramatically, and they all turn, and it's just Mothman in a cowboy hat. Oh, that'd be adorable! No, I want that. No, you, that. Can't, get, you can't keep getting into this. <laughs> it's not supposed to work. <laughs> Yeah, but you keep picking examples where it would work. I think I'm just underestimating the natural charisma and likability of Mothman. Exactly. (laughs) 
Uh, if anyone has done Mothman in a cowboy hat. Oh, definitely. Uh, but you, see, you know what we're doing right now? We are writing cutaway g- gags for oh, this podcast. Shit. Oh my god, there is art of Mothman in a cowboy hat, and it's good. It's all oh, good. Oh, great. Great, how big is his ass? <sighs> Sorry, they're front-facing. Uh, What's the point, given, then? Given that statue in Point Pleasant, I will assume Nutcracker. Fantastic. Good for Mothman and his yeah. cowboy hat. Yeah. yeah, we are we are just running cutaway gags for this show. Yeah. Well, our show, really. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that completely detracts from the appeal of the show, huh? Yeah, funny that. What, you don't think that they add uh, charm and... I don't have a second thing? No, no, because most of the cutaway... It, we're just circling around this, uh, but... Producing Parker took a lot of pages from the Family Guy uh, approach to comedy book, and there are cutaway gags in here, and none of them serve any purpose other than a half-baked, barely punchline. Yeah, like, one of them is this, like, Parker's trying to find a, a guest host for the D show, and they go through a couple. They have, like, three cutaway gags in just this one shot. Mm-hmm. Um but one of them is, like, Nona's kitchen, and she's just this very stereotypically Italian mobster Nona who's yep. just making making soup, and then there's a, a hapless rube being dropped into the soup because he, he crossed the family, I guess. Yeah, and that's just a, apparently a show that they yeah. air on television. Yep. It's just a thing they can do. Because it's, it's, a, it's a cartoon. Fine. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be the grounded uh, workplace sitcom that we envision this to be. But we're just saying that would be so much better than... Because every time this show tries on one of these uh, weird flights of surreal fancy, other than when they're entirely visually based, when they're like actually trying to do a joke, it falls flat on its face. Yep. Yep, they are. Not so we've kind of been uh, circling around what this episode is. Uh, sure. Um, let's, so, let's try and break it down a bit. Yeah, so the, the main crux of this episode is Dee has taken, um, or she's she's undergone an experimental snake venom skin procedure that turned her into a snake lady. Um, and so because she is a horrifying snake monster, they realize she can't host the show, so... Parker has to scramble to find a guest host who can do the show until the snakey effects of this treatment wear off. And and of course the um, the conflict there is that they cannot be better or more attractive or younger than than D herself. Yeah. So they have to be but they also it's ratings week, so they have to be a compelling enough host that they can maintain their ratings. What what a weird real problem to have when your host just turned into a snake <laughs> she woman. She just turned into a snake. Like, oh my god, it's ratings week. We are going to we're going to lose our usual viewership retention. It's like, yeah, that's a problem, but also D is a snake woman. She just ate a mouse live. Why are we not stopping everything and, and just like I don't know, pulling out our hair and questioning if there's a god anymore? <laughs> But go yeah. on. Sure, sure. So, uh, 
the, like, B-plot is uh, that Simon, who I believe is the intern at the office, um, He's like an associate know, producer or something yeah, like, like he that. he wants to know how old D is, and that is lockdown secretive information. Uh, so he he's trying to just figure out how old D is. Uh, and then I guess the C plot is an interesting uh, conversation about the difference between television audiences and uh, the burgeoning internet age. Oh, that's really generous to call that a plot. I'm, I'm calling it it should have been the C plot. No, because the, the I think C pl- it wants to be. It's like jockeying for position, but like the C plot is uh, Parker attempting to reclaim her youth yeah, after being called out for being older. Haha, ha, she's old. This is the thing where I really think that this character specifically, as she appears in this episode, I think she would really speak to, uh, like young twenty somethings right now. More than she did in two thousand and nine. Yeah, yeah. There, there is, there is, uh, there are elements of this character that are relatable and can travel pretty far and speak to a specific demographic. But let's just so that's the plot. There's not a lot going on in this episode, um, other than the apparently not big deal of your host of the the daytime talk show turning into a snake woman. That's yeah, just that's, that's fine. We that. We gotta, we have to get over that, because that is just everywhere. Like, don't worry that she looks like she's from a fucking Ken Russell movie. It's fine. It's, it's nothing, nothing doing. Clearly, this is less important than ratings week. Right. So, like, the real thing here, and that's really confusing about who exactly the show is appealing to. So... I looked up a little bit of, like, the log lines uh, for this show when it was, like, first coming out and some of the previews of it. Mm -hmm. And the creators and, like, the director were all saying, like, yeah, we're trying to appeal to a, uh, uh, we're trying to appeal to women in their early 20s. It's like, and they were riding a train of a bunch of other TV shows at the time that had this very same kind of, like, specific mean-spirited girl boss humor, like Drop Dead Diva, Ugly Betty, Cougar Town, uh shit like glee it's it's all it's it's all similar to that so like if that's your goal why is it also so fucking horny yeah it's a really horny show i don't get why that element is in here like i don't get like why during the opening intro uh you just see parker fully nude like i don't get I don't get this Chicago character who is just sex appeal the intern. Yeah, like, Chicago who very deliberately has full, like, just shots of her of her cleavage. There is, like, a shot of a cameraman very obviously looking up her, sh- her dress. There is a whole segment of her just deep-throwing a popsicle. Yep. And, like, it's not a dress. That's just, that's just where she's at. And I don't get how that's supposed to appeal to women in their early 20s. Yeah, well, because I think it it hits that very specific, like, pick-me brand of uh, quote-unquote feminism 
that I'm gonna generously say was around a lot in 2009, and as if it doesn't still exist, uh, where, like, you girl boss by putting every other woman down. Uh, okay, so the, 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 the assumedly, like, progressive audiences of this show would be looking at Chicago with scorn and laughter. Yeah, and be like, that's, that's just so like women who aren't me. Uh, to to deep throat a popsicle and just always be banking on how horny they they make men, and and talking in a breathy voice and describing how wet they are. Yeah, uh, but that's but that's not me because I'm not like those those other girls. I'm like, yeah. I read. Yeah, and while while this uh presumed audience member is saying thinking or saying all this, like their male roommate just has his hands down his pants. Exactly. Like. Sure. Like, I think you're right. I think that's what the purpose of the Chicago character is. But also, it's doing something for somebody. Oh, absolutely it is. They're playing both fields here. Like, I don't know why uh, there's a scene of Parker getting spanked with a ruler, but it happens. Yeah. It's doing something for somebody. I mean, it goes back to that that, uh, title card that's been memed to death of, like, uh introducing the director's barely disguised fetish <laughs> that's that's producing parker yeah there's a lot of that in here and speaking of my barely registering nostalgic memory of producing parker the one thing i can remember of it is that it just had nudity in it just all the time yeah no not all the time i mean there is nudity in the opening uh intro as well as just just occasionally, you would just see tits in Producing Parker, and I don't know, why? Sex sells, man. It truly does. It got a whole two seasons. Yeah, it's, it's just a weird little show. Yeah, it's just everything feels incongruous with the what the core appeal of this idea is. Like, everything just kind of feels... Like, this This uh, show just really lacks an identity. Yeah, especially... I mean, especially knowing it's quote-unquote intended audience. Or target audience. Like, there's there's absolutely no way that this show was hitting its target audience. Like, Definitely you, you not. make the joke at the very beginning about how this is... Uh, this is 30 Rock for Wine Moms, but yeah... It's that. I I think so because I this is just isn't hip enough for like an early twenties audience. Yeah. It's especially like, especially when you're you're saying that like your your protagonist is is an old fogey. I'm pretty sure someone deliberately calls her a fogey. Yeah. When she's episode. in her late twenties. Yeah. Which. Seems like the thing that would more appeal to, like, you know, teenagers who do genuinely think that once you hit 30, you crumble into dust. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know who this show is speaking to. And, like, and I don't know to what end it is speaking to that audience <laughs> it, for. Yeah, was it working? I don't know. Yeah, it's just a really odd duck of a show. And I, I guess we can get into uh, the two positive things uh, of what? producing Parker. 
Uh, before before we do, can I can I just do one more awful thing or say one oh, more please. awful thing? Uh, because this show makes me uh, viscerally uncomfortable, or specifically this episode, and I I do need to call it out for that because I'm gonna be sad for weeks after after watching this show. How uh, dare you, producing Parker? It, you made me sad because it does that one stupid bit that a lot of shows do every once in a while where like just for no reason other than I imagine yucks they just brutally murder a character who has done nothing wrong. Mhm. And in this case it's just like they take one of the cutaway gag uh potential guest hosts and feed her to a shark. Like horrifying. I'm going to think about that for the next like almost a month. And just uh, every couple of days, I'll just like going about my day, and it's like, ah, oh, they fed that woman to a shark. <laughs> Fuck, I'm sad again. Like all the all the people at your work is like, Sylvie, you what? okay? It's like, like Sylvie, are you okay? It's like, yeah, they just fed that woman to a shark. What? What? In a cartoon, but like still, I'm. I I've never I never feel more empathy for fictional characters than when this happens. <laughs> Well, you're you're hitting at another thing that's wrong with this show is like what what exactly is the tone here? Yeah, because that's horrifying. And then for the rest of the show, they're just like ha ha ha, everything's silly. Yeah, that's a that's a there's really a dark dog. It's <laughs> a talking dog. It, it's a really kind of dark humor spice to add to the producing Parker kind of soup. When almost all like this is a mean show, but it's a catty mean yeah. mean. Like it it is mean like girls mean. Yeah, it's it's bitchy. It's uh in in that kind of like a uh, fun flamboyant way. That scene just is completely out of left field and stops the show dead. It's like, wait, what exactly are, is happening here? And that's like halfway through the episode. Like there's still another 11 minutes to go after that happens. It it would be like if during an episode of these talk shows, she just took out a gun and shot one of her hosts in the head a la Joker. <laughs> carries on with the episode anyway i that makes me feel bad do you want to say good things about it yeah might as well uh but real quick uh did you laugh at anything um i was pretty stone-faced throughout this entire 23 minute episode i'll be honest like i don't think i got a legitimate laugh out of anything Uh, i'm just i'm scrubbing through it just to see if anything strikes no i don't I don't think I got a giggle. Well, I I got like I could have what happened what I, what I was experienced is like I could appreciate some of the lines like I I can like uh, appreciate the way like they are well crafted maybe jokes but I just didn't laugh at them. Yeah. Um. I. I enjoyed a couple visual gags. Like I I did not mind that they that the animators just really started flexing on. Since Dee is a snake lady the whole time, just, like, how she moves and, Mm -hmm. like, folds herself in different scenarios. Or, like, starts picking things up with her feet because that's functionally her tail. Yeah, like, but that's, that's not, like, an intended joke. That's just, like, that's just, like, the animator's doing a great job. The real joke is the fucking Beverly Hills daycare cutaway gag, which is one of the most abysmal parodies I think I've ever seen in one of these, uh adult animated shows we've covered like it is lazy 
there's there's not even a joke there. There is not even a joke there. Yeah, it's it's just uh, what was it? Was it a show that we've covered where they did like baby fights? That feels like a a joke that a lot of shows have done. Like, what if we just pitted babies against one another? Yeah, I guess. But I I, I think the joke is supposed to be about like the. Uh, the, the fact that the entire, like, reality TV show empire as it is, is, like, so fully out of ideas and has no qualms about exploiting children. Yeah. I mean, like, fact, I, I guess that's just, what... Yeah. This is just, uh, Real Housewives plus Toddlers and Tiaras. Yeah, like, that that's a joke there. Sure. Not funny. Not interesting. And it took... I, I'm assuming that the, the writing staff, like, well, that'll take up three minutes. Jokes on them. It took up, like... Five seconds. And like so like again, so many of the jokes, like I could I could see the, the joke in the line. It's just either the way it's delivered or just the fact that it's not well constructed. It just didn't work. Like, uh when Chicago after doing her little webcast, which I don't know how that's working, like in two thousand and nine. Right. Um she's on the floor of Twitch, I think. No, not with that show. <laughs> Um, she, she like, uh, waltzes into Parker's office and says, Hey, guess what, guys? I just got down, I just got voted most downloaded woman by the one-handed typing association. Yeah. I see the joke there. There's a joke there. It's just not funny. It's not making me laugh. But, yes, the good things about this show, uh, I kind of adore the look of this. Hey, Chris. Yes. Why it look like that? Well... It looked like that, and I here I guess I just have this quote from the director of the show, who was uh, Robin Budd, who uh, has a decent pedigree. Uh, he's worked around a lot. His big shows would be um, this. It's it's one of like the the main four things on his like direction portfolio, as well as Ruby Gloom, mm-hmm. Hotel Transylvania the series, Return to Neverland, the Gerald McBoing Boing uh, reboot, and Beetlejuice. Oh shit! Yeah, so he's a He's a he's he's got like a good reputation in the Canadian animation industry, and producing Parker is well, he's doing his best. Let's just say that much because this is a direct quote from the director: uh, "This low-budget two-season series, animated in Flash, required cle- clever visual development to deliver the most bang for the buck. The solution was a flat, graphic-stylized design with punchy, saturated color and a heavy uh, emphasis on." And with a strong focus on Leica reels or animatics. Like, you can look on his website. Uh, just give it a little plug here. RobinBudAnimation.com uh, He's got two videos of, like, animatics for the show. And the care that went into, like, every visual gag and construction of the scene. Like, this is a heavily intensive storyboarding animatic show. And it shows because it moves very well. It's a beautiful show. Like, yeah, like, the writing lets this show down because I, like, I love this kind of UPA pseudo uh, design look to it. Like, that kind of, like, jazzy look it has where yeah. it's mostly just abstract lines for background and, as he, as uh, Robin Budd said, very saturated colors. Like, I think the characters move very, very well, again, because of all of the storyboarding that uh, Budd oversaw. Yeah, like it's it's a really really pretty show. It's it's got a lot of punch to it, and and I wish that the I, I just wish that the writing serviced that better. 
No, no, it, it completely lets it down. And you can see that as Robin Bud was, uh, like, uh, getting over with his comments, it's like, we were trying to do as much as we could. And that's why there's these really weird abstract visual gags, I guess we'd call them. Uh, like we were talking beforehand, where there's this scene where Snake D has her bandages removed after she takes a dose of anti-venom, because that's the plot of this episode, ha ha ha. Yeah, never forget that. But the way that it's shot, it's like this really abstract shadow play that only has like a like scratchy color swatch as the background. Like all of the all like the, the production design and like the set itself disappears and it's just this abstract emotional moment. It's like, why are you trying so hard for this? Yeah, I adore the rim lighting against all of the characters in this moment, where it's like it's it, suddenly just turns very like film noir even where they're just making full use of shadow yeah in this really hyper stylized way and it is in service to this bad bit where the anti-venom just made d look old and she's still a snake lady yeah it's a great uh it's a great like visually expressive scene that leads to a like mediocre punchline and that's just such a shame. Because yeah, like, like, like you said, it's a gorgeous just experiment in uh, design. Yeah, so much of the show just like... I, I, I mean, like we've talked about before, like we are both uh, weirdos for backdrops in uh, cartoons where it's like the, the more abstract and eye-catching the better. And this one has some like really beautiful uh, production design to it. I'm I'm especially fond of the uh, the little visual bit where because all of the backgrounds are really um, loose and abstract, you you can just make out um, where or like the artwork around mm-hmm. the studio is all these vague abstract portraits of D. Every yeah, single yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Parker's apartment in the same vein is all pictures of her dog. And it, it, it it's a little thing. Cracked me up, though. Yeah, you can see the care that's being put into the look of this show. Mm-hmm. Like, like, someone has really thought about what these sets would look like, realistically. And just put a lot of love into that. Yeah, and it's so obvious, like, uh, because, as I said, uh, he worked on the reboot of Gerald McBornboyne, which was famously a UPA cartoon that won the Oscar for whatever year it was released. Um, And that kind of inspiration of these really poppy, but still like muted and minimalist kind of backdrops, but so much of them that it kind of builds this really chaotic, uh, like these really chaotic backdrops and escapes. Like you can tell that they are working from that same kind of design philosophy mm-hmm. but for this but for this yeah it's it's such a shame because it's it's a really it's a really nice looking show and you you can tell that like almost everybody who's working on the the visual side like to make this look to make this look and move under their apparently very stringent budget they did a great job yeah God, i love i love the character designs too well, while we're on it, 
they're I just again I just love when cartoons embrace like the different shapes. So you got like your 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 twig thin uh, celebrities, and then you've just got this the sound guy or the, he's the lighting guy. What is what is that guy's deal? Who Hal? Yes, Hal the handyman. Uh, well, that's the joke, I guess, is that he does everything. Yeah, he is. Uh, also known to be a contractor, Olympic di- diver, dog groomer, ordained satanist minister. I love Hal. I just love that he's just this little, like, cube-shaped guy. Mm-hmm. I love him. And and I love how, like, the, uh... The designs on these characters can vary so greatly in terms of, as you said, shape, but also, also color and detail work, but... They all still feel like they are part of this producing Parker world. Yeah. They're all still consistent. Yeah, they're they're consistently inconsistent, you know. And like ju- just the just the care taken for a lot of the animation too. I mean, as, as you know, as I've confessed to in previous episodes, I'm a mouth watcher. Yeah, you are. I'm a mouth watcher. Uh, born and raised a mouth watcher. I'm sorry. Put that on my tombstone. I'll you, never change. You will be forgiven one day. No, not for my crimes. Um, <laughs> not for my crimes of mouth watching. But with like every single dialogue sequence, and cons- and considering the amount of like budgetary and time constraint pressure they were under, like these characters are incredibly expressive. Yeah, with just like each independent part of their face is constantly doing something expressive and new for the episode that's the benefit of storyboarding everything literally everything like you get that level of detail yeah when you can have an intense storyboard session and then hand that off to a bunch of different animators but all of them know what the vibe is and what expression expectations are going on then they can produce something even better yeah, like, and even, like, even in the characters' motions and, like, movements, there's so much, there's so much character being pulled through it. Like, the w- one thing I just became, like, weirdly obsessed with, and I'm, I'm shocked that they even bothered to go this far with it, uh, Parker's hair. It moves all the time. It never stops. Like, it is in a constant kind of, like, jostling motion. It's like, that must have been a pain in the ass to, yeah. to animate. Like, every single time she shifts slightly, her hair just, like, bounces with. And there's, there's like, a great, um, like, it's, it's obviously skilled animation, too, because it doesn't deliberately move, um, in the, the exact same timing of her head. So, like, it's, it's doing the thing where it comes in, like, a split second after she has moved. And then has its little swish and sway back. Push and pull, man. Well, I guess that covers why it looked like that. And now for the other good thing of of producing Parker, uh, why it sound like that. This was probably this was probably what the show was marketed on. Absolutely. Uh, so playing D, we have Kim Cattrall of Sex what a and the get. City fame. <laughs> Samantha of Sex in the City is D, and. Holy shit, does she do a fantastic job. She is giving 120%. She like, is living this role. It's perfect. You could almost say she understood the assignment. 
one might say that. No, it's it's a great character, like the, of this self-absorbed and entirely narcissistic and abusive boss. Like Kim Cattrall just takes this for a walk and sinks her teeth into it, and just you can clearly tell she was having a blast playing it. Oh yeah, it's definitely the type of character that I think is would be really fun to play, as long as you are willing to like just release your ego a bit. Yeah, definitely. And she, and she and she does. She just gives a, it's it's a great performance even in this episode where she has to also be like a little sneaky lady the whole time. She's having a good time. Oh, you could hear it like in in the way that she's pronouncing a lot of her lines. Like she's adding a little uh a, a little uh, snake slither to everything. Mhm. Like that's not uh that's not added in post. Like she's clearly doing a lot of the work herself that's that's all her and, and god I, bless I res- her for it yeah I, re- I respect the hell out of that um and then also doing a, a banger performance as parker is Kristen booth um who's definitely not as big of a name uh and also she mostly works in like television she's still working a lot in television but that was, it was also just a big get, because, like, yeah. she is a well-known voice actor, or rather, well-known television uh, personality. She's yeah, because, like... yeah, she's done both acting and live action. A lot, lot more live action now. Oh, and hey, she's actually worked as a producer. Ha, ha, ha. Life imitates art or something. Yeah. <laughs> or something. Or something. Yeah, other than that, the, the like those are the two big yeah, cast and, members. Like, like they are both absolutely crushing it. They work really well together. Like they're I don't know if they ever recorded in a booth at the same time. I know that isn't always the case. Like usually it's more common for actors to just like record one at a time. But like it feels they're the chemistry that the two of them have, it feels like they're in the room together. Oh no, it's a uh it's really well done like you you can you can almost feel them working off one another because and again i don't know how if you're a haha producer of producing parker you don't see this what you have in front of you and it's like okay let's just strip out all of that dumb family guy bullshit that we've added in to make this more appealing to a wider audience and just focus on these two yeah just that's our show yeah just redirect your energy to the impossibly good dynamic that these two actors have and just start writing that like and that's just a, that's just like dissuading you from ever like like journeying further into this series because you know it's like okay i'm gonna get glimpses of this fantastic dynamic between these two characters and these two actresses who are working their asses off for it and then a robot is gonna show up exactly and then the show is gonna be about the robot yeah like i'm absolutely not I'm not going to be able to be invested in how amazing their performances are because I know there's always going to be something else that just makes me have a bad time. Yeah, so, like, well, like those two are what the show was sold on and probably where most of the appeal came from if you were watching it at the time. The rest of the cast, like, they're not doing a great job. They're, they're working with what they got, I guess. I know, but... Uh, Simon, uh, Aaron Abrams. I, do, I think he's kind of terrible do, in this. I do have to call him out specifically. Because, hey, hey, Chris, 
Did you notice that um, that Simon here is, is he's he's a black gentleman? Oh yeah, one of the few like uh, one of like two may, like recurring black characters on yeah. the cast, like on, on the cast of characters. And and since you have have you looked up Aaron Abrams? Oh, not yet. Uh, here, let me just uh, yeah, do just, a little just Google. Google that real, real quick. There's there must be a, something wrong. I, I must have the wrong Aaron Abrams. Uh, why why would you say that? Oh, this is because uh, this is a white guy. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Huh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's one of those. It's one of those. Well, what about uh, what what about uh, the uh, the gay assistant to D uh, Russell? I believe he yeah. he, like he's a black yeah, character, wanna, right? Yeah, yeah. You wanna you wanna just uh, Google uh, that is. I'll just uh, Google that guy real quick. Oh, Jamie Watson. He also plays the dog Massimo. I mean, I don't like his performance, but like he's he's certainly like uh, giving his all to those yeah. two characters. Yeah. And oh, hey, would you look at that? Another white guy. Yeah, it's another white guy. 2009. This is 2009. See, we can't even, like, have, we don't even have the argument of, like, oh, it was a different time. Because, like, no. You know you knew better than that. Well, Sylvia, I hate to break it to you, but, like, yes, they knew better than that. But also, we were still doing it. I mean, fuck, we just talked about The Hollow, and they did that. We're still doing it. Yeah. That's, like, not even, like, that wasn't even, like, in the moment of 2009 we're still doing it. I mean, we're still doing it in 2023. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody cares to look at a voice cast for a cartoon. Yeah, no, who's going to notice? Don't Me. worry I'm about gonna it. I'm going to notice. Yeah, you're going to notice. Um, wasn't yeah. particularly familiar with both Aaron Abrams and Jamie Watson. Like, I don't. I, I just think they're both really bad in this. Yeah. The um the only other thing that is of note for me specifically for Aaron Abrams is that he was a pretty regularly occurring character on Blind Spot. Um which, What is Blind Spot? Oh, it's uh it's a cop show, but I only know about it because it is the reason Ashley Johnson wasn't at critical role for most of the year is because oh, she, had Jesus to, she had to live in New York to film for this garbage show. Oh, why am I even surprised that that's your connection to <laughs> this this specific actor in that show? Yeah. Is somehow it all, it all circles comes back, back to D&D. Cr- yep. Okay. No, as I said, I'm not shocked, but yeah. also yeah. kind of shocked. <laughs> I, I guess... I guess the only other notable name on the cast would be um, whoever plays Chicago. Uh, yeah, that's, that's Sarah Cornell. We've encountered her before, I believe. That name sounds I familiar. Know. I might be completely off uh, base here. Uh, it, no, doesn't look okay. like we've we've come across her before. We have encountered so many Sarahs. Yeah, that's fun fact. It's a common name. Yeah, she didn't, uh, I'm looking at her, uh, IMDb, she didn't do a lot, certainly not a lot of voice acting after this. No. It was a one-and-done kind of deal. Yeah. It, it seemed to be the kind of show where they were more looking for, like, like, I mean, especially with the Kim Cattrall, they were more going for the name appeal for their lead. Well, let's, let's call it what it is, they blew their budget on her. Yeah, absolutely they did. 
So they're going to get whoever else. I mean, like Kristen Booth probably could have commanded a a decent salary as composed to everybody else. But like, yeah, like some of these people, like they are either lifelong uh, bit parts on television or lifelong uh, voice bit part voices on cartoons as with Jamie Watson here. Yeah. Like Jamie Watson has 82 credits on his IMDb, almost all voice acting. Yeah, but but you you get Samantha. You pay for Samantha. And you know what? You probably got a massive interest in that pilot because you marketed the hell out of Miss Kim Cattrall being your main character. Or one of the two. One of the two main characters, right. The the thing, too, is that, like, Parker and Dee are definitely, like, co-leads. Because this show, every episode of this show alternates titles between being a pun on Parker's name or Dee's name. Right, like, Parker is the one the audience is supposed to relate to. Dee is the one the audience is supposed to love. Yeah, or love to hate. Yeah, she, she's the one that's making you laugh. Parker is the one that is making you, like, invested. Yeah. But none of those things are happening because we're not focusing on their relationship. Or the trials and tribulations of running a daytime talk show. We're just... We're just doing shit. Just doing shit. One, one thing that I couldn't really get... So, this show is obviously trying to be a send-up of daytime talk show programming, right? So it would it stands to reason that like D is some kind of parody or takeoff of some kind of daytime talk show host. But I don't I, know enough about daytime talk show hosts to confidently say who she is. Well, because like I poked around in the other episodes, not like watched them, but like looked them over, and she's got like a rival who's another daytime talk show host yeah. who is literally a Queen Latifah uh, slash well, Oprah amalgamation. Yeah. Yeah, so Victoria Lafayette, host of the Victoria show. And that's something that is, like, deliberately put in her character. Like, even in, if you go to, like, the Wikipedia description of the character, she physically resembles Queen Latifah, and her personality is similar to Oprah's. If you look in the same thing for Dee, all you get is that she was raised by a family of cougars in the California mountains. We just get another joke. That's all, just, that's all you need. Haha, she's a cougar. There has to be some, like, uh, inspiration for this character, right? Like, they're, they're, they're clearly commenting on something. But, again, I'm not, I'm not a fucking 35-year-old wine mom. I don't watch daytime television. I, I did watch a lot of daytime television, but it was mostly Maury. Yeah, one of the worst ones. Yeah. I have a 35-year-old wine mom. Or she was when I was a child. (laughs) Like... A lot of Maury. Uh, my Dr. mom was Phil. super. Yeah, my mom was super into Oprah and Doctor Phil. Yeah. That 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 was her thing. Yeah. And a little bit of Doctor Oz, but thank God she broke that. Yeah. Like, my only. The only thing that like makes me think of, that or that I think of when I look at D, especially like the setup, is like. What's that uh, morning talk show? It's a Canadian morning talk show. Kelly, it's Kelly and Ryan now. Who is the... Wait, Regis and Kelly? Regis and Kelly, yeah. 
Like, the set kind of makes me think of Regis and Kelly, but obviously it's not. So I don't know. Yeah, and maybe we, we kind of picked a bad episode here because we don't get a feel for what the quote-unquote D show is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, we just get what it's not. And I'm not going to watch another episode to find out. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Are you kidding me? But, like, I, I just feel like they were definitely riffing on something. Like, some daytime talk show... Uh, like of the era of late 2000s that I or maybe even earlier that I clearly have never heard of it's it's like it's like when we're watching celebrity deathmatch and the two hosts were like takeoffs of sportscasters from the 70s yeah like why would I get that joke yeah like this is clearly not it's not it's not gonna track because who is this show for yeah who's who is this reference for Oh my god. I th- I thought maybe I could look up like, oh, let's look up some talk shows from the 90s and the in the early 2000s. Uh, no, there's too many. Uh I did a, I did a similar thing where I was just looking at the uh like the daytime Emmys and the People's Choice Award mm-hmm. uh from like 2000 on to like 2020 whoever won best daytime host like or best daytime personality or whatever the the category is. The the, the thing about the People's Choice Award they change categories every year. It's a garbage award show. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, other than like, other than, you know, 50 awards for Ellen, Oprah, and Wendy Williams, I don't know anything. What about Jenny Jones? Who? I'm just reading a description and, uh, show shifted from a serious talk show to tabloid in nature, focusing more and more on unusual subjects, from misbehaving teenagers to being sent to boot camp and people confronting their childhood bullies to makeovers and more. Fuck you, Maury. That's not Maury. I know, but that's oh, his, okay. that's his brand. That's, that's what he popularized. Like, fuck that garbage. Yeah. People watch better daytime television. You could be watching reruns of Wheel of Fortune. You should be watching The prices, Right. Just game okay. shows. Just, just game shows. Game shows are made for great daytime television. That's what daytime television is there for. Yeah. Like, none of this, none of this Ellen dancing bullshit. Fuck off. The wheel is on. Yeah. I could be watching reruns of Jeopardy. Fuck. That's right? the, that's, that's the, <laughs> that's the gold standard of game shows i like i know it's a little more intellectual and boring but god you can just watch that and you get lost in like four episodes one after the other it's easily and then like you're actively cheering for uh for your long-term contestants but sometimes you gotta root for the underdog yeah and, and sometimes when one contestant is being a little too smarmy and smart it's like ooh, ooh fuck that guy i hope he loses oh i, I can't I, I can't wait for Final Jeopardy where you bet it all and lose, you little fuck. Exactly. This is this is what we should be watching. Should we should we uh do an about face and just make a Jeopardy podcast? You say that like I'm not in like <laughs> like I'm not game. Like that's not no, that's gonna be I'm a laughing. fun time. Like that would be so much fun. Or just like a live watch along on like Twitch or something like yeah we're doing uh, these episodes of Jeopardy tonight. Yeah. 
we're just so gonna watch him. Fun. We're just gonna watch him and maybe guess the answers, but I don't know. I'm just here to vibe, man. Yeah, we're just we're just enjoying some Jeopardy. All right, well that's that that that's a much better show than producing Parker Jeopardy. I mean, come on, but uh, yeah, I mean it's hard to beat Jeopardy. I mean, I we're done with the show. Do you want to do your fan fiction corner, or is there anything? Oh, I didn't even look. One sec. Uh, vamp. I know based on how horny this show is, and how much uh, how much they're banking on you getting a good look of these characters. There's got to be something. No Simon Cross Parker long unrequited love stories? Nothing. Really? Nada. I, I look up producing Parker and I I get a bunch of Peter Parker Spider Man okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay, listen. Nante. I didn't check fanfiction.net. Okay, if you were targer targeting women in their early twenties and did not produce a single piece of fanfiction, you fucked up. You you failed. Nothing. Okay, fanfiction is not loading for some weird reason. I'm gonna assume nothing. Wow. That's that's really sad. That's a shame. That is a yeah. shame. Um, that's 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 a that's a failure. That is a failure of of uh, of producing Parker. Yeah. And you know what, uh, Robin Bud, and your team of animators, and storyboarders, and editors, that wasn't your fault. No, y'all, y'all were doing your best with what you had. Yep, this nothing. This is a great nothing from fanfiction.net. Wow, see, this yeah. is a great show to watch on mute. Right? <laughs> Gorgeous. Uh, again, not this episode because of the shark bit. But no. But yeah, just. Just watching these characters move this this whole time we've been talking has been delightful. Okay, so I'm gonna leave it on this because uh, I think I think we're again in agreement here. Uh, fantastic looking and moving show, terrible writing. Yeah, that is that so, is our final decision, final judgment. So I'm gonna leave it on enjoyed. this. I'm gonna leave it on this here, uh, and we never do this, but I have two reviews here. For whatever reason. Some wayward, tortured soul uploaded Producing Parker to the TMDB, which means it's you can log it on Letterboxd. Oh, okay. And there are two reviews. One, half star. One, five stars. Ooh. Here is the half star review. If you ever ask the question, what would happen if Smosh Cartoons made a show that tried to rip off Paul Verhoeven... Paul Verhoeven's shtick. Answer. This abomination with satire that treats the audience like morons, animation probably done in a Chinese sweatshop, voice acting done by people who clearly don't care, and thoroughly unlikable and uninteresting characters. Probably one of the worst animated shows of all time. Fuck you out of ten. Okay. I don't agree with any of that. I don't know where this is coming from. No. I don't know where they got the Paul Verhoeven bit from. I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to find the connection and i do not see it i got i we and animation probably done in a chinese sweatshop what were you watching i'm sorry i'm sorry that you're blind (laughs) and here is the five-star review this show is great it deserves a third season that's it (laughs) 
So the Letterboxd community is split on yeah, clearly. <laughs> producing Parker. Yeah. I guess I'd find myself right around maybe the two and a half to uh, low, low, low three star range. And that's just because I appreciate visuals more than storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I'm probably in the same boat. But I'd, I don't have the same hatred that this uh, this woman does, or this person does, for <laughs> producing Parker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what a weird, what a weird dichotomy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this show is nothing but weird dichotomies between the grounded workplace sitcom that it was meant to be and the dumb family guy thing that it wound up being. Which is Pulled in two directions, and it tore itself apart. Rip. Rip. So that is going to do it for this episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. Oh, wait, Thank wait, you wait, so... wait, wait, What? This is, this is a show of adults. What's your hammer cheer list? Oh, right. Um, shit. Uh, well, I did not plan for this. <laughs> um, I guess the network boss, number one, okay. the British guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. As well as his little vulture guy that he's got with him. Mm-hmm. Uh. Hmm. Simon? Simon next? Okay. I don't know. Just throw him in there. He's kind of annoying. Um. Parker and Dee are, like, not even hammerable. So they're okay. way, way down on the on the list. Same with Hal. Put them together in yeah. the, the, uh, they get off scot-free. Yeah. Nah, nah, I think it's, I think it's everybody. Okay. Good, just good the, list. uh, just the two network execs and I guess Simon. I, I wouldn't, uh, Simon would just be a tap. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, not, hey, wisen up. You're not, you're not aiming to, to kill or to maim. Just a little bonk. Well, the, uh, the two, the, the, the two, uh, network execs, like, yeah, I mean, look, look at that uh, little vulture man. He's clearly evil. And the other one's British. No one's, no one's, no court would convict me. <laughs> Shit, you're right. Maybe Antique Annie. Because that's a mercy killing. She's, she's lived a long life. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, she already gets mercy killed by God at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's the conclusion of that storyline. It's like, oh, uh, lightning strike, haha. Yep. What a rim shot, Uh like this show. <laughs> that will do it. Great. Great. So thank you so much for tuning into the latest episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. If you like what you heard, please consider giving us a like, share, subscribe, and review on your podcatcher of choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, because that helps us reach the widest possible audience. You can find the show on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod, where we upload episodes every Saturday. Except when we don't. Except for when we don't. You can find myself on Twitter at Cinema Creep, where, I don't know, maybe I'll start watching 30 Rock and see how we do this premise good. <laughs> and you can find me at Sylvie Skeletons, where, oh. Yada yada Skyrim. Yeah, yeah, I'm still there. Yeah, still in the, um, lands of Tamriel? Yay, did it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I should not remember that at all. Great. Proud, proud of you. Wow, I can't remember a whole swath of my life, but I can remember the map name, country of 
Skyrim. Good night, everybody. Bye.